What's up, podcast listeners? It's your host, Rafal Matuszewski, and it's episode 263 with the one and only Curtis Christofferson. If you haven't heard this guy before, you are in for a treat because every time I listen to this guy speak, I get so motivated and riled up to give my 100% effort in all my work. He is a true entrepreneur. He started off as just a personal trainer out here in Vancouver, British Columbia, and went on to franchise a gym called Innovative Fitness to a point where it's now generating over $2 million of revenue every year to now owning Innovative Fitness, which has now 14 or 15 locations and he is literally going to take this company to the next level. So I'm really excited to share this episode with you. So without further ado, here is Curtis. Hello, boys and girls. Welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your lovely host, Rafael Patuszewski, and joining me for the first time is Curtis. Say hello. Hey, how's it going, guys? Awesome. So I always like to start the show with some easy, easy questions to get the juices flowing. So the first easy question is, what do you got planned for the weekend? Well, you know what? I'm I'm uh, actually a groomsman in, in one of my best man's weddings. So I uh, got you know golf and, and some boating on Friday, even though it's not uh, it's not golfing weather, boating weather, or wedding weather here in, in Vancouver. But uh, it is what it is. And and then got the wedding on Saturday. So. Um, definitely consume my weekend and, and I'll have to get some exercise in as well. Nice. Uh, so the second easy question is, what is your biggest pet peeve in the fitness industry and then in everyday life? <laughs> oh, that, that's a loaded question. Yeah. Um, pet peeve in the fitness industry. How about uh, all those celebrity trainers that don't have any education attached to their name? Those, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, obviously living in and uh, growing up in, in Vancouver and in the Great White North in Canada, uh, we don't, you know, we don't access or, or leverage any kind of celebrity clout that that uh, other places in the world might. And, you know, I, I think I value people that like yourself that have high level education and experience to apply to their clients' experience uh, versus just leveraging their you know, great cousin, uncle, uh, brother, and half sister-in-law's you know celebrity status to make them look good. So nice. um, I'd say that's probably one of my biggest pet peeves in terms of pet peeves uh, overall. Who, uh, man, that is a good one. Uh, I would say uh, might be a little bit uh, a, lar- a large one, but I would say that. Uh, People not following through on what they say they're going to do. It's yeah. definitely one. It's a pet peeve of mine. You know, I'm a man of my words or try to be. Um, and obviously, we all make mistakes. But when it's consistently people just let you down, it's, uh, yeah, be honest, be vulnerable, and, and uh, you know, be true to your word. That's I'm a big fan of. So Nice. All right. So the last one is what is the current book you're reading or listening to? Oh, great <laughs> question. I actually have it right here. Nice exactly what to say oh cool what is that about so um it's primarily i would i would recommend anybody in sales which we all are to some degree um you know it's it's you know i mean does a pretty good job of actually saying it right on, on the title uh the magic words for influence and impact so really good i would recommend anybody that you know works in the service industry and or in a sales position um which most entrepreneurs are um, Phil M. Jones does a really good job with this. It was recommended by 
many several people actually a part of a group that I'm that I'm in, which is called Mastermind Talks, uh, that Jason Gaynor owns, and uh, it's a it's a very select community that uh, I trust, and, and it was a highly recommended book, really easy read, and something I'd highly recommend to to anybody. So. Sweet. All right. So the next thing, let's just get like a little intro of who you are, what you do, and how did you get into this industry in the first place? Okay. Uh, well, obviously, my name is Curtis Christopherson. I, I, uh, I'm in the health and wellness space. Uh, you know, primarily, I, I, I say that I'm, I'm a serial entrepreneur, so I definitely have other investments and, and involvement in several companies. But day-to-day, um, I'm the CEO and president of, of Innovative Fitness, which is a high-end personal training company. Raph knows all about our organization, hence why we're talking. And uh, been in this business and space for the last 20 years. So it's been a long journey here, and not strictly just with Innovative, but um, grew up, to your question on how I got into this space, was a high-level athlete growing up, always participated in sport, um, decided to specialize in, in water polo out of any sport, which um, some people know about, some people don't, and uh, got to represent Canada, travel around the world, went to world championships, Pan American Games, and uh, you know pretty much compete at the highest level, everything but the Olympics. And because of that, I was always involved in health and wellness. I, at 16 years old, I was a, I was a lifeguard. That progressed from lifeguard, it progressed um, into uh, managing a sports complex. So at the age of 21, I managed a sports complex that had, we had 90 lifeguards, 20 fitness staff, um, about 25 administrative staff. And uh, for some reason, they gave me the keys to manage that business. You know, when I was 21 years old, going to school full time and uh, and uh, playing on the national water polo team. Um, slowly after that, graduated from SFU in, in kinesiology, uh, took some business courses as well, and uh, thought I'd, I'd dip into more of the you know uh, private business world in terms of getting involved instead of a community rec center uh, type position. I, I wanted to expand my my horizon on, you know, uh, being exposed to an upcoming brand, and that, that got me involved with Innovative, so. Awesome. So I'm kind of curious now, like, what kind of sparked the whole, like, entrepreneur in you? Like, did you always kind of have that DNA makeup of, like, I always want to own my own business, or did you just have, like, kind of one of those epiphany moments that, hey, I'm going to be a business owner? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think I naturally had a little bit in me. Um, I remember... You know, I, I look back and, and obviously when you're younger, you're not always, you know, there are some entrepreneurs that, you know, start their entrepreneur career, you know, at 12, 13, 14 years, you know, and, and that's happening more and more often because people are, have access to information and access to people like they never had before. But, you know, early on, you know, 14, 15 years old, I had two jobs, you know, the typical paper route, um, you know, which, you know, some people get, you know, um, get involved with at a young age. And then, you know, I, I was at working at a restaurant in the evenings. Um, and I always work. So I, I think working was, was part of my DNA. Like I love to work, um, works a little bit of my life and, and I've always got questioned about how much I work and the time I put into it. So I think that was always in my DNA. I wasn't the guy that was sitting back and put my feet up. Hence why, you know, at 21 years old, I was managing, you know, 120 people. Um, you know, I think, you know, I always had, um, an affinity or attraction to uh, culture and creating that. So I think that really started getting me into um, wanting to own my own business. Um, I also never liked standing still. So, you know, in the when I was in the recreation business, you know, I found that at 21 years old, 22, I was kind of 
you know, there was a lot of red tape. Like I was getting to a point where I was kind of hitting the ceiling. You know, it was all about uh, longevity or tenureship in the in in the space, and it was all about um, you know just putting in your time. And for me, I wanted I wanted to get you know get people out of the way. You know, I want to progress both monetarily from an income standpoint, but more responsibility more than anything. I was never really 100% just driven on on uh, the monetary aspect of things. So, you know, for me, I felt like I was hitting some some roadblocks and, and that motivated me to then start looking at other options. And I, I'd say that if I didn't have that, I probably would be the, the typical, you know, what you see in a lot of millennials today, which is, you know, go from job to job because there was nothing really sinking me down. So I think it was a blessing in disguise you know, jumping into my own business or businesses uh, provides a little bit of a um, footing. It grounds me a little bit because you can't go anywhere. You know, when you own your own business, it's like, you know, you got to uh, sink or swim. And, and uh, yes, for our serial entrepreneurs, I would say that I've got better over the years. You know, people get distracted and, and they look for opportunities, but it definitely grounds you because when your livelihood depends on it, you know, you're your income depends on it. Like you, you don't, you can't go anywhere. So, um, yeah, but I remember growing up, I mean, you know, dude, I had, uh, you know, seven, 16 years old. I was doing fake IDs. I saw my brother created, you know, going back to your question about like, has it always been in you? I was doing like a little like side job, you know, doing fake IDs for people that were like 18, 19 years old, trying to get, you know, be of age and for 21 years old. And, uh, you know, making money on the side. I, I, um, you know, bought my first house when I was 19, uh, you know, and, and, uh, that was definitely something I don't regret. It was probably the thing that catapulted me the most in life. Um, I thought, you know what, I had a full ride scholarship to, to SFU, Simon Fraser university. Um, I was working full time. And at that time, that's when like, you know, credit cards, the masters of visas of the world were, you know, signing people up to, you know, all the students out there. And then, you know, also you could get a student loan, you could qualify because I, because I worked and I had income and I had uh, school paid for, they, they just loved me. Um, and so I had a student, uh, I got a student loan, even though I didn't need it. And I spent, I took the $10,000, put it on a down payment of a house. Um, and then I got, I lived at home and I got my buddies, my brother and two of my, two of my buddies to live in there and pay the rent. So, you know, I did that for two years. So, that definitely, from an entrepreneur standpoint, I, I'd say, you know, entrepreneurship, whether it's owning your own private business all the way to investing in things, I think it um, goes hand in hand. So I definitely was in the DNA, um, you know, and and, uh, and I didn't come from that, though. Like my, you know, when you look at where I came from, you know, blue collar, relatively blue collar family, my, both my parents worked for Air Canada. My dad was on the ramp and then Air Canada Cargo, so probably made about $40,000 a year, you know, worked five to five um, as a young kid. And uh, yeah, I mean, he just, you know, and he did that for 30, 34 years, I believe. Uh, my mom, flight attendant for Air Canada, and did that for 32. But, you know, early on, my parents were divorced and uh, they had separated when I was like three and a half. And at four years old, you know, um, obviously we had a babysitter back then. We were only four, but you know, I remember at six years old, you know, my dad working five to five, myself and my brother had to get up, you know, make breakfast, make our lunch, walk to school at, you know, six or seven years old by herself. And so I think that, you know, gave me a little bit more, um, independency and, and, uh, taught me a lot about, gave me some skills that probably would have trickled down and impacted, you know, being the independent entrepreneur that I am today. So, 
And I think like having parents like that, they kind of instill that work ethic in you. And it's yeah. such a good like learning curve for anybody. Cause like, I remember when I was 16 and all my friends were getting cars from their parents. And I like went to my dad, I'm like, so where are we at with this car thing? And he's like, oh, you want a car? I'm like, yeah. He's like, go get a fucking job and pay for it. And I was like, oh, okay. And then like right <laughs> away, like I went to work for Red Robins as a bus boy and just saved all my cash and bought a car. And like, if I could give any advice to any young person, I'm like, just work your ass off as much as yeah. possible. Like you're gonna build such good character. And now I guess this will kind of go back into my next question is like, now that you're a father, I'm kind of curious of like, how are you going to like parent your kids so they don't feel kind of you know, privileged or they feel like everything's gonna be given to them, but you want them to get that work ethic. Yeah, it's a tough balance. I mean, yeah. you know, we're, you know, as a father, um, hopefully anybody that's a parent, you know, love their children, like, you know, at the level that I do, and it goes without saying most people do, um, you know, you want the best for them, right? So it's a tough balance to balance out providing them with things, providing, providing them with opportunity, um, providing them with support, but also teaching them lessons that they need to um, you know, in this case, you know, get a job, work hard, save money, you know, and, and, you know, kind of pave their own path. Cause if you do it for them, you know, they're never going to learn that lesson and they're never going to, never going to develop the skills. And it's happening way too often these days. Right. Um, and as an entrepreneur, you know, usually generally speaking at some point, uh, you know, you're going to get to a point where, um, you know, one second, I'm sorry. Can you hear that buzzing? No, sorry about that. Okay. never mind. I do, but, um, you know, to go back to that, you know, you get to a point in in life in entrepreneurship that, you know, you you uh, you're probably making you know a little bit more than the average income, and so then it provides you with also opportunity to you know give them more. And so whether it's birthday gifts, Christmas gifts, um, you know, supporting their school, and and I think it's going to be a balance, right? You know, it, it's you know maybe there's teachable moments. I taught my daughter the other day, she's five and a half years old, you know, I gave her change and she went to the counter and, and uh, bought something at the grocery store, right? And just understanding the exchange of money and what money is and where money comes from. And we do a really good job of understand teaching them why dad has to, you know, go to work in the morning, early in the morning, and sometimes doesn't come late at night. Like, you know, those teachable lessons, I think, automatically will instill um, awareness. Um, it might not instill the skill, but instill awareness of, what it takes to be quote unquote successful and you know how you earn money. Um, it doesn't just, you know, as our parents say, grow on trees or fall in your lap. You know, you have to earn it. And um, the likelihood of winning it is gonna be low. And you obviously don't want to steal it. Um, so, you know, there's obviously the the most successful way or the better way to do it is is earn it and you gotta instill that stuff. So um, we're trying to teach our kids on you know, really understand the value um, of money, where it comes from, how it gets exchanged, um, and, you know, really what's what's realistic. And we've done a really good, I think we've done a, a decent job. We're not, you know, we're not um, the best at it, obviously, yet. Um, but I think we've done a good job of, of starting to do that. I mean, she's only five and a half, or our son's only three and a half, um, but it'll be a fine balance of when they get to the teenage years asking for the car, you know, <laughs> instead of pulling out the checkbook, how do you... How do you actually, uh, you know, find find ways to teach them how to go earn it? And, you know, I, I'm going to go back to a, another little short story about this. You know, so many people nowadays, 
I think there's a big challenge in, in what we're facing as employers, uh, let alone just the generations coming today. You know, there was, uh, I, I wrote a, a LinkedIn article about this the other day. Um, I, I remember growing up and I had a, a poster on my wall that said justification for higher education. And it had, you know, a picture of like four sports cars on a cliff. It looked like Miami or, or maybe like the hills of LA, you know, with this big mansion. It was pretty much, you know, insinuating that, you know, we go get education you know, you know, there's a just, you know, the justification for higher education. Basically, you know, you go get further education, you're gonna, you know, probably get a, a better paying job, and and a better paying job is gonna provide you the opportunity of of buying nice things. And you know, that messaging came from the baby boomers to the generations below them, their kids, and and now to the next, even the next generation. And you know, it was a like pretty much the the school system, the education system, just got flooded just for the sake of going to school because our gen, our parents, a lot of our parents, you know, it was one of two things in the baby boomer generation. Either they, you know, were, they were the lawyer, doctor, dentist, uh, accountant making $100,000 plus, or they were the opposite, lower income, 35-year, uh, you know, blue-collar job and, uh, you know, and, and had to tough it out, you know. And, and so those people, like my parents, saw – they taught me that, you know, you got to go get an education because if you get an education, you're going to get one of those well-paying jobs. And what's what's crazy is that things have shifted, right? Our access to information, our access to people is like never before. And so, you know, formal education, although I believe it's really super important, at the end of the day, I don't think it's 100% necessary. We can access, I think education is necessary, and further educating ourselves, but formal education into a university program, maybe not as much. And the reason why I'm going to come full circle on this, the reason why I say that is because, you know, we're having a lot of people into the job force that have 30, 40, 50, $60,000 in student debt. And they're concerned about, you know, they're not getting paid enough. It's not that they're not getting paid enough. They haven't been equipped with uh, financial literacy, number one. And number two, uh, they got massive debt. So now they're living on their own. You know, they got rent payments or a mortgage as well as, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to pay off a student loan and they're not getting ahead. Like they're, they're basically, you know, paying off debt or paying to live. And the reason why I say this is because the other day myself and my wife went for dinner and this young lady that was serving us, she must have been about 25. She's like, oh, I'm like, we were celebrating her anniversary. And she's like, I'm like, oh, what are you celebrating? And she's like, you know what? I'm actually celebrating something today too. And I'm like, what's that? She goes... This is the first time, today is marks the first day that I no longer have to work three jobs. And I'm like, I go, for how long? And she goes, three years. I go, you've been working three jobs? I go, you know, you don't hear that or see that anymore. You know, this person, you know, she had a full-on day job, nine to five, and then two serving jobs, one for Friday, Saturday night, more bartending, and one was a serving job Monday to Thursday. And she goes, I go, what, what motivated you? She goes, well, I had student debt, and then after I paid off my student debt, I want to save money for a house and, and put money on a condo. And I just, you know, that that just inspired me and motivated me even more because I just don't, you just don't see that anymore. Like, you don't see people, um, you know, getting shit done, like literally making it happen. You know, if you want to get something in life, you got to try to make it happen. And right now, you know, people expect to, you know, to make more and work less. And, you know, I look at this girl and I just, you know, was in awe just looking at her and, and uh, you know, kind of giving her kudos. Like, yeah, you do have something to celebrate. Three years working three jobs, like, you know, kudos to you. So 
Um, yeah, going back to your question, I think, I think people got to get after a little bit more these days. So with Innovative, like I would assume primarily you're getting a lot of young people kind of going into the company. Now I'm kind of curious, like what are kind of some of the values you're trying to instill to them so they can be successful like this go-getter waitress that you met? Because I find that a lot of young people, kind of like you said, like they kind of just expect things to come to them and like they don't have to work more than 40 hours a week. So I'm kind of curious, how do you educate your staff to kind of get that driving them oh man <laughs> where do we start do we have another couple hours or what? <laughs> yeah. uh, here's the reality like you know we can't ignore um the characteristics and behaviors of the generations coming up we just can't right and there's not it's not bad or good like i'm not one of those guys going oh my god the millennials they're just you know they want to work less and make more no like every generation had its pro and every generation has con and it's because of um, society upbringing, you know, it's all shifts of everything, like their ecosystem that's influenced their behaviors. So, you know, at the end of the day, we have to, we have to have that balance. We can't expect people to change necessarily. Can we provide a supportive environment? Yes. So going back to your question, first and foremost, hiring the right people, right? Like, are you hiring the right people that, you know, really can speak your values, um, you know, might have some life experience, might have some, some work experience, like those things make as a, as an owner or as a manager and as a leader of an organization will make your life a little bit easier, right? If you hire someone that's not, you know, in line with the values of the organization, it's going to be more difficult. Obviously, if someone has, um, a low level life experience or low level work experience, once again, uh, can make it a little more challenging. So how can you, you know, increase the odds by, you know, um, you know, really uh, fine-tuning your approach on hiring people. That's number one. Number two, when you bring those people in, you know, internal, how can you, and, and inside your organization, how can you support them with certain tools that they're not getting taught? So what I find, you know, goal setting, you know, we naturally, if you're, you've been in, edu you know, some sort of education program, um, athletics as an example, you know, chances are you're decent at, at goal setting around project-based work, timelines, such as, you know, schoolwork or projects, um, and or, you know, your physical goals. Like, usually if you're an athlete, you progress from, you know, setting goals for yourself of making a sports team to winning a championship, and you can translate that to goals around, you know, running a marathon or doing a triathlon or whatever it might be, you know, increasing your bench press or your squat. Uh, you know, but they, they have difficulties setting goals in other aspects of their life. So, you know, that could be financial goals. It might be, uh, you know, personal goals, business goals. So, you know, rounding out their skills of, of goal setting, I think communication, really difficult one these days. You know, um, people are obviously communicating by email and text more than ever, let alone other social media channels. So how do you actually build them up and have, give them the tools to communicate face-to-face, -face, especially in a service-based business like ours? Um so that's one, time management, Whew. you know, everything's always been done. So how do you be effective with your time management and how do you plan for that? You know, so planning is a big thing that we support them on. Um, and then <laughs> I think you got to create an environment that you demonstrate and you can support long-term vision. If you don't do that, you know, everybody is, is once again, because of access to information, they also, they also access opportunity. Right, gone are the days when you had to like pick up the newspaper, look at see who's you know having a job posting. Like it's in your face, it's coming in and approaching them. So, you know, retaining staff, you have to 
you have to not only support them, support them on their goals, their mission, their vision, their, you know, um, what they want to achieve monetarily or personally. But we have to we have to showcase them the opportunity that they have and how we're going to get them there. Because if not, they're just going to, you know, they're going to skip over the, you know, the dull quarter for the shiny penny and and they don't realize what might be right in front of them. So I think all those things, like there's a lot of stuff that we can do and support them. Um you know, and sometimes they're going to have to learn learn on their own, right? Like it just, you know, it's it's yeah. Sometimes people have to go in and uh, and go in the real world. It's kind of like having kids. You know, you got to let them, you know, leave the nest. So, yeah. I think also is like if you work for a company that has a good leader and they practice what they preach, like your staff almost feel like they almost have to mimic that leader. So, like for someone like yourself, like if people are working below you, it's like they got to step up their game to be able to keep up with you right so it's like if you're working for an organization that may have a manager that just shows up whenever and just does enough most yeah. likely your employees are not going to try to strive for anything better you know what's crazy is that it's i can't believe you're mentioning this so i had an interesting conversation with yesterday um and this morning and what's what's amazing is actually the anxiety that sometimes we can evoke without even knowing it so I had one of my managers who's relatively new and, and, you know, he said, he's like, Curtis, like, I don't know if I'm suited for this job because of, you know, I don't know if I mean expectations. I'm like, well, tell me about it. Like, have I given that impression that you aren't? He goes, no, but I see how hard you work. And I see, you know, you're working in the evenings and work on the weekends and, you know, your drive is just insane. And I said, you know, what's funny is that, you know, not that I purposely do it. It's just innately in me you know, the drive and determination, the work ethic, but what might be perceived as, you know, aspirational, you know, motivational, inspirational, you know, and, and having people kind of try to, you know, mimic that or mirror that. And they have, you know, it, obviously to your point, people do step up their game versus if I was a leader that, you know, came into the office, stick up his, you know, sticked up his feet up on the desk and came in for a couple hours and left, um, you know, it's funny because it actually can provide the opposite effect at times if you're not clear of of why you're doing it, how you're doing it, and and that and that the expectation isn't to follow my lead. Um, you got to find the harmony that works well for you. Now, once again, you know I'm always looking for people that want to like put in the effort and put in the time, but not to a detriment of their health, right? Detriment to their health, their relationship, what's going on at home, like, and how do you find that harmony? And everybody's heart. Like harmony is different. And when I say harmony, I used to be a big fan of, you know, uh, balance isn't a daily thing. It's not a monthly thing. It's not an annual thing. You know, you're going to have times where you put, you know, the foot on the pedal and times you take it off. Um, but the reality is, is that it's not black and white either. It's not like you put on the pedal and you take off the pedal. Like it's, it's you're trying to find that harmonious feel where you can ride the wave and you can kind of ride off of it sometimes. So anyways. Um, so now I'm kind of curious of like, because you seem like you work all the time, what is it like a typical day look like for you? Like, how do you prioritize things? Like what time do you wake up? What time do you like go to sleep and manage everything in one day? Is that before kids or after kids? Cause there's two different things. <laughs> um, let's go after kids. Cause I'll yeah. be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I mean, I got two kids, five and three. So if you ask any parent, um, you know, usually when you say three and one, four and two or five and three, this is their response. Oof, 
It's the hairy stage. The hairy stage. And I look at that kind of a positive because I'm like, you know what? At the end of the day, I guess it's only getting better, especially when 99 out of 100 people have the exact same reaction. Um, so that being said, I mean, my life has changed in the last five years um, for the better. Right? No, um, it has. It's, uh, it's been great. Um, but it has shifted and changed the how what my day looks like. So prior to, you know, I, I will say it briefly, prior to kids, I was no problem getting up 4 5 o'clock in the morning, having a, you know, daily ritual, getting to work a little bit earlier, like, you know, 5.30, um, and start my day that way and progressing. But it also, you know, that life pre-kids also provided me the opportunity to have some downtime. You know, nowadays, um, and now after having kids, especially the age they're at, there really isn't a ton of downtime. You know, my life is either consumed with, um, it's, it's, 100% consume with people, you know, and, and I shouldn't say 100% because I'm, I'm creating strategies and, and rituals, um, you know, and, and my own personal system to have downtime myself. But, you know, I wake up and my kids wake me up at, at uh, you know, usually 530 in the morning, six o'clock in the morning, they're jumping on the bed. And, and uh, you know, we're lucky and disciplined enough that they know when to come in and when not to. Um, I try to, you know, spend about half an hour, 45 minutes with them in the morning. You know, and, and then I'm off, off, you know, to one of our locations, most likely, you know, whether it's my office or, or one of the other locations, I'm on the road by, you know, 630, um, you know, and at that point, I'll have an early morning workout. So I usually work out at 7 or at 8 a.m., depending on my schedule, and kind of get the blood flowing and, and uh, kind of hit the ground before it really gets hairy and, and unpredictable in the day. And then I'm usually, you know, at possibly two to three of our locations in one day. Um, I do try to manage my time, so it depends on where I'm at. So it's up to two or three, not usually more than that, and sometimes just one. Uh, my days are usually generally filled with um, business development meetings. So, you know, besides beautiful podcasts like this, I, uh, you know, usually back-to-back. Like, if someone looked at my schedule, I usually have meetings on the hour to the end of the hour from 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. all the way till 5 um, including, you know, when I commute, I will generally speaking book, uh, you know, b- book some calls. So I commute usually about an hour and a half to two hours every single day, depending on where I'm going. And in those commuting time, that's when I'm doing either follow-up calls or scheduled calls as well. Get home at around five, five thirty. I make it I'm pretty adamant when I can, um, to have dinner with my kids and my family. So we'll have dinner at 5.30. I take them out on a bike ride. Nowadays, it's the last, like, four months. They both ride with no training wheels. So uh, they're adamant. Uh, you know, they, they're on the bike on the weekends, like, four or five times a day. Um, so we go out biking usually for an hour and then come in. And, you know, literally from 5.30 till 8, it's kid time. Um, there's no really work or way around it, nor do I want it. You know, sometimes I try to avoid it for certain reasons, if I have some projects or some things on the go. But really, at the end of the day, 538 is like, good luck to try to get a hold of me. It's, you know, bike rides, bath time, you know, bedtime. And then at 8 o'clock, I'm, I'm usually hitting the computer to, to recap some of my days. So follow up with some of my meetings, uh, follow up with some tasks, projects, upcoming items, agenda items. And, and uh, you know, and, and I'm hitting the hay by nowadays. I'm a lot more disciplined at this because of my workload and, and capacity right now. Um, I'm trying to get in bed by 9:30. I'll uh, I'll read for half an hour or and and try to instill a little bit of level of, of mindfulness or meditation and and hopefully I'm closing the eyes at 10. So um, that's 
really my typical day, obviously being in the service business and getting pulled in multiple directions, you know, um, I would say that four out of seven nights in a week, I'm, I'm uh, out at community events. So whether it's galas, dinners, um, you know, sponsored events, you know, whatever it might be, um, which can be taxing and, and it obviously eats into more than anything my family time. So Nice. Um, so now to put some context into it, like how many locations does Innovative have right now? Yeah, so we have 12 locations, soon to be 15. Jeez. So, uh, yeah, we have, I, I, you know, my social media says, says 14 plus. Um, and the reason why I say that is because we've signed two leases, um, you know, one in Toronto, one in Seattle. That So we're going down to the U.S., baby. Um, nice. So we're going to have, we have 12 operational right now. And then we have uh, another one earmarked in Toronto, possibly in possibly two and then one in Seattle. So we're, you know, on the move and, uh, you know, I'd say in the next three, four five years, it's, it's definitely a big growing, you know, growing stage for us. Cool. Now I'm also kind of curious cause like you went from franchising the white rock location to now owning it. So at what point did that happen? And like, what was that whole process like? And why did you want to own the whole thing? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a really good question. I, um, you know, the the reality with with uh, you know my journey, I guess to this point, you know, at 22 years old, I, I joined Innovative. We had two locations, Kits and West Van. We just opened up our West Van location. It was a team of four or five people. Um, at 23, I was managing it, and at 24, I committed to our third location. Prior to any franchise opportunities whatsoever. So there was no such thing as our franchise package, franchise system, franchise agreements. You know, Matt and Jeff, the co-founders of Innovative, who have, you know, been mentors and, and you know, obviously big supporters for myself, um, you know, they just, they knew that I was kind of a young buck that was, you know, if I wasn't growing and, and uh, going to have a, a future opportunity with the company, I was going to be leaving. So, you know, I opened up, you know, White Rock at, at 24 years old, which, you know, I say it today, I can't believe um, I made that commitment back then, you know, $500,000 of, of uh, financial commitment of debt. Um, I did that. And then quickly thereafter, I joined our corporate head office team. So I managed the business from 2006 uh, to 2012, you know, where, um, which I learned a lot and, and I had a lot to learn. Um, even still now I look back and I was, I don't even think I was even ready for that, that role and position in our company. And you know, I, I was responsible for the growth of our organization from three locations to 10 um, in a matter of, you know, five years. So I learned a lot, did a lot, contributed a lot. You know, I had some, you know, minor uh, profit sharing and ownership stake in the business. And in 2012, I took a step back. I, I we weren't um, as a partnership group and in ownership group, um, you know, Matt, Jeff, 11 years, my senior weren't really ready to, to, uh, grow the way that I was, um, motivated to do so to do. And, um, yeah, it just, it, it provided a lot of reflection points and, and I took a step back and I said, Hey, listen, I'm just gonna, you know, grow the shit out of, of, you know, our, our number one location, which was the white rocks of Surrey location. And in 2013 moved the location. And in 2014, you know, surpassed $2 million in revenue of that one location, which, you know, for all the, um, you know, particularly the fitness and personal training uh, entrepreneurs out there, you know, you can probably agree that that's, you know, being 98% of, of revenue through PT, you know, quite successful. So 
Um, at that point in 2017, I, I, you know, 2014 to 2017, I, I filled up my time and energy to diversify. I, you know, invested in a couple businesses. I, I partnered with a couple businesses, you know, and, and all the majority in the health and wellness space. And, you know, I thought that's what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to be that sterile entrepreneur. And I think it's it's one thing to invest in companies and be a passive advisor or shareholder. It's another thing to like actually be a partner in the business and actually have an operational role. And I found that, you know, in 2016, I was just, my time and energy was so um, like diverted and pulled in multiple directions. And I, you know, they say that obviously if you want to be successful in life, focus on less and less is more. And I realized that I didn't want that. Like I was juggling multiple, you know, multiple employees under different brands and no synergies in between the two of them. And, you know, obviously being in the health and wellness space, but there was no economies of scale in terms of like systems and, and you know, leveraging, you know, you know, uh, bandwidth and, and human resources as an example. So in 2017, you know, I was kind of knocking on Matt and Jeff's door and I said, listen, like I'm, I'm, I'm ready to take the next step. Where are you guys at? And they had, had hinted that they would look at, at the opportunity of selling the business. And so, you know, I put my foot forward. Um, I think they saw me as the um, ideal candidate to, to take on the legacy of, of the brand that, that they obviously built, helped build and built. Um, and for me, I was, I was part and parcel A, number one. I, I kind of had did a self-assessment. Obviously, you know, there was a level of success I had achieved in both the brand, overall the brand, building it from from the two, three locations to 10. Um, I knew the business inside and out. Um, I, I have experience running the business and I felt like I had a level of success in the business, obviously with the, particularly with the White Rock location. So, you know, why not protect my biggest asset um, that generated my personal income and, and you, know, prime, you know, most of my wealth, you know, and, and, and take on, you know, and have the opportunity to buy out Matt Jeff and, and take on ownership of the entire entity. So, um, that's why we did it, and that's why I did it. And uh, you know, that's two and a half years since I bought them out, and, and it's been yeah, it's been great. I mean, I'm I'm super thankful that I did it, and uh, couldn't yeah thank the our teammates enough for, for the support they've provided, and I'm super excited to really take Innovative to the next level. Something that I think was a little bit uh, there was some progression that was lacking, and now I have control over that. So awesome. Um, so now I'm kind of curious because like you're just dominating the fitness world here in Canada. For any coach that's looking to make the jump from like just training clients to opening up their first gym, like what are a couple of things you learned really quick when you open up your gym that were like kind of big aha moments? Yeah, I mean I don't want to sound too cliche because some of them will be. Um, you know, I, I'd say do do your due diligence. Uh, number one. I've made investments outside of, of Innovative that um, I didn't know what I was doing. I was I thought it was a good opportunity. It was kind of, you know, it was the shiny penny and, and uh, or the nickel, whatever you want to call it. And I, you know, I, w- I would make investments I didn't know anything about. Anything about, anything about the risk, anything about the opportunity, anything about the landscape. And I wasn't, I wasn't competent, you know, in the actual skills of that particular business. So if you're going to get into you know, your own business. Um, hopefully you have experience in the business. You know, don't just think that you're going to come out of university and, and I wouldn't recommend coming out of university, not having any training experience and then think that you're going to be a great trainer. I've seen that people make that mistake. Their parents are, you know, wanting to or willing to support, support them to go open up their passion project and that yet they haven't had any, 
you know, two, three, four, five years experience in the industry yet. Like, make sure you know that you actually both like doing what you do and are good at it. Um, and that leads to my second question or second comment. Uh, you know, I used to be the big fan of, of the whole saying that if you follow your passion, no, if you, if you follow the money, you're never going to make enough. If you follow your passion, you're never going to work a day in your life. And as much as there's some truth to that, you know, because I actually love what I do and, and I don't feel like it's work. I just love to work. I think there's flaws in that. You know, we've, we've seen an influx since that saying has come out, follow your passion. Like everybody's following their passion, whether you're a yoga instructor, whether you're an artist, whether you're a, you know, a, an actor, it's not easy. Like following your passion doesn't mean you're good at it. Right. So, you know, you have to evaluate and self-assess. Like, are you good at this? Um, is this going to maximize your strengths and your abilities and your experience and your education? And are you actually able to execute? And if you can't execute, i.e. being a great trainer, in an environment that you don't own, you don't have any risk, you don't have all the support in the world, you have marketing done for you, like if you're not good at that, the likelihood of you being successful when you run your own with 10 times the responsibility, 10 times the risk, 10 times the, like it's probably not going to happen. So my suggestion is before you jump in both feet, get experience in the environment. Assess that you're good at it. Assess what works and what doesn't work. Assess if you, you know, learn from mentors, learn from other organizations like Aura, like Innovative Fitness that, you know, you have people that are there to support you and teach you and learn from, you know, because if you, you know, just don't jump in going in blind. So due diligence is, is obviously my second one. Get ready to hustle. You know, like it's kind of like having kids, right? Like you can't explain it. You can't explain what it's like to be a parent until you actually have children. You don't know what you don't know. You know, with business ownership, there's a hustle that you just, like at the end of the day, I remember people used to, employees and teammates used to say to me like, man, you sweat in the middle of the night. You, you like, you get up at like, you know, five o'clock in the morning, you go to bed at 11. Like you need to take care of yourself. Like I'm like, dude, you don't have $500,000 of debt at 23 years old. Like I'm sweating buckets every single night. Right. So there's a hustle that, you know, I think when you're attached to a level of debt or a vested interest, um, and risk, you know, it does definitely, you know, brings out a hustle in you or should, if it doesn't probably not set to be an entrepreneur. Um, but you know, get ready to hustle. I think that's a big thing. Like make sure that you can't and you, and, and don't do it all at once. Don't start a business, get married, have kids, buy a house all in the first six months. Like stage your life, right? Like stage it. I always say that there's like four or five buckets, you know, and, and my four buckets are your career, whether you're an entrepreneur or, you know, a, a, you know whatever, whatever position you play in and in role you play in an organization, whether you're the owner or you're the employee, teammate, executive, whatever, CEO, you got to establish your career. Most likely you want to establish a relationship. You might want to have a family and you might want to own a home. Don't think that those four things have to happen all at once. You know, they don't like there's too much energy required to do all of them extremely well. So try not to put them all in one basket and walk down the street trying to, you know, skip along like Red Riding Hood. It just doesn't happen. So, you know, pick the apples one at a time and make sure you're ready to add the layers to it. Um, and, and there's no right or wrong answer in terms of what order they go in, right? Like I bought a house when I was 18. I sold it when I was 22 to get into business ownership. I didn't date anybody when I started my business. I didn't date anybody until actually my future wife, 
you know, for like three years, I got my foundation set. I did everything. And then we didn't get married right away. Like we dated for two years, you know, and then we got married and then we didn't have kids right away. We waited for two and a half years, three years. So stage the, the likelihood of success. If you stage those pivotal things in life, I think you're going to be better off. Um, sorry, I got two more things. I wrote down notes on these ones, uh, create checkpoints. So, you know, just like you should have KPIs and metrics in your business, uh, those metrics will be indicators of how on track you are. You should also have self check-in points. So whether it's planning points, like every quarter, every, every month, every quarter, every year, or self check-in points, like maybe there's a time where you like put in your calendar, you know, a, a point of, you know, one hour of stepping back and getting out of the day-to-day. How am I doing? Reassess, reevaluate. Am I on, on the right path? You know, and that might be checkpoints also with your clients to see how they're doing. You know, but KPI, KPI is important. Um, and yeah, I would just say, uh, you know, you gotta good be good at managing people, and part of managing people is hiring hiring the right people. And so get ready to hire people that are not like yourself. If you're gonna hire people like yourself, you're only gonna be as good as as essentially your skills. So you have to hire complementary skills and complementary um, people with different behaviors, attitudes, and skill sets. And therefore, you're gonna have to manage different behaviors, attitudes, and skill sets. So um, it takes an art to do that. So learn how to manage uh, different personality types, I'd say. Boom, that was pure gold. <laughs> um, so maybe for the last question, because we're coming up on our time here, is if people wanted to find out more about you and what you do and what innovative is, uh, maybe you can just plug in website, social media, or anything else you want to plug in my show you can right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, our website, www.innovativefitness.com, pretty self-explanatory. You can find me on Facebook. I got a shitload of followers, I think. I don't even know where, if I'm at capacity or not, but um, I definitely am on Facebook. Uh, Instagram, uh, I believe my handle is Curtis, C-U-R-T-I-S underscore Christofferson. Uh, like kind of like Chris Christopherson, like people always say. Um, underscore C uh, Christopherson C H R I S T O P H E R S O N, and uh, our Innovative Fitness Instagram is at IF Difference. So in short for the Innovative Difference, and uh, that's about it. I mean, you know, I'm as as Raf as you know, um, super accessible. Love helping fellow um, entrepreneurs in this space, fellow you know, teammates and, and, uh, and peers in this space. And, and I think this, this business is, is fulfilling. We're changing lives. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely a mindset of abundance, not scarcity. I don't, I don't, I think there's enough room and, and opportunity in this space, in this world to work together, not work against. And I don't look at people as, as competitors. I don't care if you work with a competitor. Um, you know, for me, it's about making this industry a better place and I've, I've learned a lot from a lot of people. I continue to learn a lot from a lot of people and, and uh, I hope people can learn from me, so. Awesome, so thank you so much for your time. This was amazing. Awesome, thank you. So that's gonna wrap up episode 263 with Curtis. Hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I did. And just a heads up, I have a couple new things coming out. And I'm super excited about it because a lot of people have been asking me um, about more Cut the Shit Get Fit apparel. And I'm currently working on a hoodie 
for the winter. So keep your eyes peeled for that. I'm gonna do a little post on it and show you a preview of how it's gonna look. I'm really excited about it. And a lot of the people who've been asking me to make a hoodie are gonna be super psyched. So keep an eye out for that. And keep an eye out for a special Black Friday sale on my book, The Ironclad Body Training System. I'm really excited to get another round of people on that program because we've been having so much success with that program worldwide. I've had people, you know, from my home country, Canada, um, the US, uh, Singapore, Hungary, the UK, Australia, and there's one more country that I can't remember right at the top of my head, but so many people around the world are following this program and loving it. So I want to throw out for only 24 hours a deal on this program that you've never seen before. It's going to be even cheaper than my pre-sale um, discount when I first released the book back in June. So if you missed your chance, this deal is going to be even better. And... I'm so excited to create another video. If you watch the other videos, they were freaking hilarious. People love them. So keep an eye out for that. There's going to be a lot of marketing for it. Um, I'll probably start talking about it next month. But because you guys listen to my show, I want you to be the first ones to know what's going on. And as always, share this podcast with your friends and family. Give me five stars and do whatever you got to do to make this podcast grow with me. And I'm going to continue giving you the best fitness and health advice along with my ramblings on my solo episodes. That's it for me. Have an awesome week, you guys.